What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Inking Out Loud podcast. I'm your host, Rob Santos, and I'm joined, as I always am, by my co-host, Drew McCaffrey. How's it going, everybody? And for episode 124, we're dialing it back a little bit. It's just going to be Drew and I talking today. So let's swan dive straight into the fourth novel of Stephen R. Donaldson's Gap Cycle with The Gap into Madness, Chaos and Order. Drew, would you kindly summarize everything that we read for this week? Yes, sir. So we covered the first 25 chapters, and after the pure adrenaline of The Gap into Power, A Dark and Hungry God Rises, Stephen R. Donaldson gives us little time to catch our breath. The Gap into Madness, Chaos and Order, picks up only moments after the explosive ending of the previous volume, and like its title promises, throws us straight into insanity. Angus, Morn, Davies, and the rest of the crew of the Trumpet escape from the destruction of Billingate, but Angus leads them further into Amnion territory rather than run straight back to human space. While hiding there, the crew collectively decides what they're going to do, and ultimately they settle on Vector's plan to research and reverse-engineer the mutagen immunity drug. They head to Massif 5, the home of Valdor Industrial and a bootleg station called simply The Lab. But first, Angus's programming takes them to the Commine Belt, where he sends a message to Warden Dios, reporting the events on Billingate. Waiting for them are three other ships. Punisher, with Min Donner aboard. Free Lunch, under contract with Hashi Lebwol to destroy Trumpet. And Soar, with Mark Vestibule and Milos Taverner calling the shots for the Amnion. Back on Earth, as news comes in, chaos ensues. Warden is called in to see Holt Fastener once again, and Holt is furious. He demands Warden give Nick Angus's priority codes and have Angus kill everyone aboard Trumpet except for Davies. Warden, caught between a rock and a hard place, sends his order to Punisher. Koina Hanish visits Sixton Vertigus, and he makes his decision to go ahead of the Bill of Severance, but in turn warns Koina that another Kazi may try to strike the GCES itself during the next session. Back on Trumpet, Nick gets control of Angus and takes over the ship. Vector destroys Morn's zone implant control in a desperate bid to keep her out of Nick's clutches. At the end of our section for today, they arrive at the lab only to discover that Sor and Sorus Chatelaine are there already. Nick takes Mika, Sib, Ciro, and Vector onto the station and leaves Morn and Davies behind for Angus to torture. Yep. Yep. <sighs> okay, so... <laughs> We leave off in a very dark place for this one, don't we? Yes, we did. Um, let's just—I guess we'll, we have to start with stop with style. We have to. Yeah. I mean, I will say Donaldson—he's on a roll. Like his his prose transitions like it, it smoothly between plain and then lyrical and then back to plain without like any really obvious breaks or transitions. It's really cool to see. Um. In chapter 7, there was a line that struck me when, when Davies is talking to Morn, and it says, Her smile was small and fragile, as naked as glass. Nevertheless, to him it looked like dawn. But it's in the middle of this very emotionally fraught scene that it, it's, it, it, it works. Like, the juxtaposition is nice, and it's really cool to see. So to that I say, what scenes aren't emotionally fraught at this point? Yeah, that's a good point. That's a very good point. I mean, I wrote down that style point at like the very beginning of this, so I wasn't ready for how much emotionally yeah. fraught situation, how many I should say. Oh my goodness. Yeah, but, this uh, is, um, you know, I've brought up the pacing 
on previous books, but just I I won't stop bringing it up until the end of our coverage of these books because the pacing is remarkable. Donaldson just does not take his foot off the gas. I mean, you you mentioned you know after the first book where you're like, wow, you know I wasn't expecting the second book to start right then, like, and right, it's just yeah. doing it again and again right and there. again and and like the he manages to execute these transitions between books with no time in between but very neatly establish like new conflicts and new plots and new character arcs and not make it feel jarring like it it makes sense that new uh, to use one of Stephen R Donaldson's favorite words exigencies mm-hmm. uh, new exigencies are are popping up after the events of you know the previous book and and so there's a natural flow to it even though there's like a very hard delineation between books even if there isn't a delineation in the timeline if that makes sense yeah, yeah. um and and the you know that that emotional kind of toll that i brought up you know the this book is called the gap into madness right you know this is um this is where the internal landscapes of so many characters, and not just Morn anymore, not just Angus anymore, but so many other characters are coming to the forefront. We're seeing the rawness of Hashi Lebwol now. We're seeing what Koina Hanish is like. We're seeing Sixten Vertigus, what, what his struggles are. We're seeing Darren Scroil. Like, all of these people, and here's my main, like the thrust of my main style point, is that... This is a book predicated on people acting with incomplete knowledge. If mm. if you want to talk about miscommunication and incomplete knowledge as being major themes in The Wheel of Time, this is like you took all of that for The Wheel of Time and compressed it into one 500-page book. Yeah, I agree like, with that. <laughs> it's... it's, it's... I'm not one to to really enjoy a lot of uh, politics and intrigue. I know, surprise as it is to hear, and it, it's still all over the place in here. And it it's, takes away a little bit for me, but that's just a very subjective thing. It's definitely just like my taste. Um, there's a lot of, like happening here. And on your point about there's just the sheer um, number of of characters. Like I was. That's my only other style point that I have here is just the fact that when I wrote down my characters for today to actually, st- I know I, I separate them into different columns here and I had, I'm used to like two, three, four, sometimes five major characters that I want to talk about, but then I hit a sixth then I hit a seventh then I hit an eighth <laughs> and I'm like, oh my God, I have so much like my character discussion note for today is just huge, but it's spaced very evenly between this huge cast of characters that I think is really impressive considering that, you know, we've been we've been with them in like so close for so long. Yeah. It's, it's just awesome. (laughs) Yeah. He, he really does a good job of, um, spreading around the points of view. And even though there are, you know, there's still a few characters getting the major, the bulk, you know, Davies has a ton. Angus has a ton. Min Mm. has a ton. Warden has a ton. But, you know, we also get a Darren, a Darren Scroyle point of view. We get a Hashi point of view. We get a Soros Chatelaine point of view. We get a couple of Morn points of view. We get a Sixten Vertigus point of view. Yeah. Like, 
and and that's going to continue in the, in the second half. We're going to get even more points of view, new points of view in the second half. Still, um, yeah, okay. uh, and it's one of the biggest strengths of this series in my mind is is how Donaldson handles such a a wide cast of characters, but makes it feel very small and and familiar. You know, when when you've got let's see let. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. We have nine different point of view characters in 25 chapters. But it doesn't feel like nine point of view characters. You know? Like, it it feels like... Because the events are so contained. There are really only two locations where things are going down. And... And we're so familiar with the characters at this point that it doesn't feel overwhelming. Like, oh my gosh, there's this, there's 50 new characters. You know, there isn't the Wheel of Time or Song of Ice and Fire effect where you have to like, oh, I have to learn another new Aes Sedai. Here, it's like, yeah, you have to learn another new ship captain, but it doesn't feel overwhelming. No, it definitely doesn't. And I, this, yeah, it definitely does not. Yeah. Um. If I had one thing that I was just to say fell a little flat for me, it, it, this is such a minor thing that it definitely doesn't detract from the book as a whole for me. I'm loving it so far. It's, I think it's already my favorite regardless as to what happens <laughs> for the rest of the book. Um, I will say there's just one small, like, three-little-page ancillary documentation. Just One of them fell flat for me, and that was the one on the Matter Cannons. I thought it was just, just a... Just a, a an inch too much over the line like i think and this is obviously again just my opinion but i think donaldson might have taken it a step too far in like the attempt to amalgamate theoretical science with actual science and i'm with the chaos theory not gonna, i'm not going <laughs> to claim to be an expert myself but even i was able to see a bit of uh, inconsistencies like i was willing to accept these things just move on i matter cannons those are a thing excellent let's continue i didn't really need a step-by-step tenuous link to tenuous to tenuous to tenuous link that I don't really have much faith in the integrity of that chain but at the same time I debated on whether or not I wanted to say anything because it feels so like actually it's not how it really would work so but yeah <laughs> it was just a little, just a bit too much like I don't know yeah the ancillary that... documentation in in the first half of this book is very tech heavy uh, that's that's definitely a, a dramatic yeah. departure from previous books where we've gotten some you know tech background like oh the history of the gap drive but there's always something else that sheds light on a character you know there's like the history of the united mining companies and holt fastener's rise to power or the speech from warden to the cadets or hashi's journal or you know something like that that sheds light on character and here it's just we got four bits of ancillary documentation all on different types of technology we get uh the we get one on gap travel and what it means for the kind of collective consciousness of humanity and mm-hmm. gauging distance. We get one on gap courier drones, which kind of I did continues like that, that theme. We get yeah. the matter cannon one, which brings in this like chaos theory and ties yeah, to the, the whole, uh, yeah exactly that was um, not that was what do you call it? The title of the book. Yeah, and then yeah. we get the symbiotic crystalline resonance transmission, which brings into play now uh, the possibility for instantaneous communication. Thank God. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there so. was this mention. There's this mention of large and small nuclear forces at one point, and I'm, I just looked at it. I'm like, are those mm-hmm. is, are those just like outdated terms? Because I looked at then I looked it up and I just I couldn't find them because as far like 
I was expecting strong and weak. Like he just the, yeah, the, I'm uh, guessing that's just another term. Yeah, but I looked it up and I couldn't find it anywhere. <laughs> it, I mean, it, it led me to strong and weak, but I couldn't find like any uh, past use of it. I was like, it just it struck me as a little odd. I was like, okay. I mean, I'll roll with it. I was, I, mind, like I said, though, was... I was willing to just accept matter cannons. Like, I was like, yep, those are a thing, I believe. Yeah, in my mind, that was just, like, Donaldson trying to play fast and loose with terminology and being like, oh, this far in the future, we That's have true. a better understanding you know what? I will take, of I, science. So I will they've, take like, every word I just term, said back you know? in the past 60 seconds, yeah. Um, but, but, yeah, so uh, my last style point is just the continued... Um, uh, metaphorical use of the word gap. Yeah. I knew you were going to bring this up. Yeah. The gap between what he did and his original programming would widen. You know? Yes. Warden Dias had said it's got to stop. Angus couldn't imagine what the UMCP director meant, but he had his own answer. Oh, oh, this is a different one, actually. This is a different one. Uh, um, uh, yeah, um, his own head had become a crib as cruel and inescapable as the one in which his mother filled him with pain. The gap between his needs and anyone else's was as great now as it had been then. And another one. After that, he heard voices as if they could barely reach him, as if the drugs had sent him into the medical version of Tack, leaving everyone else on the far side of a perceptual gap. I love how he uses this motif over and over and he he uses it repeatedly but he doesn't use it so much that it kind of loses its its sparkle right um he uses it at very specific points when somebody's reaching like this this critical moment you know and it's a measured dose he's good at yeah that. Oh. he's got a, he's got a, a talent for it mm-hmm. well i'm ready to go into characters how about you did you say that was your last style point yeah, I well, I mean, I have one more, but it's like a miscellaneous point slash a style point. Just uh, some of the words that have popped out as, um, you know, phosphors. He discovered the word phosphors with this <laughs> book, and suddenly of, uh... everything has phosphors. The screens have phosphors. There, yeah. people see phosphors when they've been hit in the head, like you know. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, I'm still seeing a lot of brisants, brisants. Yep, brisants, brisants. I, I, I looked it up. And it's in the. It's been in this part seven times so far. Yep. Uh, so. <laughs> Frissen. Say again. Frissen. Oh, another yeah. one that has Frissen, been yeah. uh, around a lot, and of course exigencies. Exigencies. Oh, always oh, gotta have <laughs> some exigencies. What is a novel yep. without exigencies, Drew? Exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that's uh, that's definitely just. That's a that's a Donaldsonism. He discovers yep. a new word and he uses it a lot. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, characters. Can we start with Min Donner today? Yes. I am so glad that she is every bit as enjoyable as I was hoping she would be to read in this one. She's phenomenal. Like, she's tough. She's dedicated. She's passionate. She's talented. And having her scenes mostly dominated by the absolute gem that is Dolph Ubiquity, just yeah. awesome stuff. <laughs> I love her conflict. The fact that she is so loyal. And so dedicated to her morality, but then that leads to her big conflict. That she's able to have that conflict between betraying her oaths and betraying humanity because of her, like, her, just the influence that she has from Warren Dios, the respect that they have for one another, that trust that he has in her, that passage that, that, that we went through her internal dialogue there. Who was she? Just superb character stuff. I think this is the character at the moment that I'm enjoying reading the most. Really? Wow. Yeah. Okay. 
Yeah, so Min, I'm not, like, like I, I like her as a character, but I don't enjoy reading her. I'm, and I can't quite put my finger on why, but sh- her chapters frustrate me a lot. And, and they have since my first read of the series. You know, this is the third time I'm reading the series oh, wow. now. Okay. And, it, like, elements of Min Donner's character I love. But then she chooses actions that I don't want her to choose. Yeah. And so it's yes. frustrating. Like, it's a great conflict. It's a, it's a great, like internal dynamic that she has um, fighting with her perception of herself, her perception of Warden, her perceptions of the the UMCP uh, as a whole, like trying to equalize all of these discrepancies inside of herself. And... And, and sometimes it just really frustrates me that she doesn't go about it the way I would. <laughs> yeah, I, I, there was a particular decision that she made near the end of this week's reading that I really thought was not going to be the decision that she made. Sending the, so, the codes on to With the Nick? codes, yeah. I thought that she would choose to betray her orders. And that was the whole reason that she had been sent by Warden Dios, because he trusted that, she, that her morality was stronger than her oaths. But uh, she didn't make so, that particular um, choice. Apparently. A, a quick Obviously. aside. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. How much horror were you filled with? First, when Holt told Warden what to do. And then, again, when they're like on the trumpet and Nick shows up with Angus. Drew, I'm so glad you asked me that question. And not only am I glad that you asked me that question, I am grateful you phrased it in precisely that goddamn way because i have a whole paragraph here dedicated to the sheer magnitude of horror it's in my points about nick but it's it's a whole paragraph dedicated to the sheer magnitude of horror that i felt during those exact two moments (laughs) yes um i mean okay i'll just get it out of the way because oh my i have to compliment donaldson on this character this this one now being nick sicorso because not only is nick sicorso somehow that despicable, but he's the kind of despicable that frightens the <laughs> out of you. I don't know how long it's been, Drew, since you got to experience this moment for the first time, but when I finally reached that line, it, it was from Hold Fastener to Warren Dios, you know, give Angus's priority codes to Nick Sikorso or some such. I, like, there was a moment probably, like, 0.42 seconds long that it took for that to sink in, where I, re- I had this lovely moment of bliss and I didn't know it, because I, I, I wish I could have appreciated it, because what like, what followed was horror of such magnitude it couldn't hit me all at once it was like a tsunami of horror like it hits and you're like oh no and then after a moment of considering and looking around you're like oh no (laughs) oh no 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 just keeps coming and coming it's the worst possible thing that donaldson could have done could have think to do to any of his characters right yeah like like seriously of all the books you've read how many moments even approach that level of just not I don't oh. think there's anything. <laughs> I don't think there's anything. I can't think of anything. Like it, it it it's so perfectly set up. It's one of those things that in retrospect you're like, "Of course that was going to happen." Yes. It was all there already. <laughs> 
But it comes so out of left field, you just get blindsided, and then you have to sit there and think about it. Yeah. And you need time to digest. And in and in an incredible stroke, he makes you wait chapters before you get to see it actually happen. And it happens so before you, you know have it's happening. Building tension. I was expecting to watch it happen as it happened. And then suddenly yeah. it was already happening from Morn's point of view, I think it was. And of course yeah. we went back through Angus's head or after that, but oh <laughs> my it was just happening out of nowhere. <laughs> when that moment when Nick's face was described as being like so triumphant and snarling and angry and like oh. he started his attack there, I was like, No, it didn't happen already. <gasps> <laughs> it was that yeah, that that level of sheer horror. It could be just we might as well finish our just our discussion on Nick now, right? Do you have anything else about Min Donner? Should we just continue? On Nick? No, I'm done with Min. Okay. So <laughs> I will say this. There exists no hell, torture, or overall level of human suffering that I could name. That is quite good enough for what I wish upon Nick f***ing Socorso. <laughs> and you have finally arrived, and you understand now why Nick Socorso was both Pat's and my most hated character in yeah. all of the fiction we've ever read. <laughs> my opinion on him hasn't really changed since the last book. I didn't expect it to. I mean, maybe it, you know what it actually did. It just grew more acidic and hateful. Like I don't, yeah. I don't just want to fight him anymore. I'm just kind of, I'm actually pissed off at Donaldson for creating such a character, and I can't fight him. <laughs> I've never experienced I mean, such pure hatred for any character ever. Not Joffrey. And, and what, what a journey Donaldson has brought us on to get to this point where it starts off where you liked Nick in the first yeah. book. You were all excited to see what this like swashbuckling space pirate was going to be up to. And then, <laughs> and now three books later, you're just like, he can burn in all the fires of hell. Like, yeah. <laughs> oh my God. They need to make a new layer just for him and name it after him. And with Angus, it's kind of turning around the other way too. So I, we'll, we'll get to that when I, when I get to it, but I still want to bitch more about Nick's Corso right now. Mm -hmm, I mean, mm -hmm. <sighs> there was a perfect opportunity missed really, but I wanted somebody to throw shade his way in chapter eight. Uh, when Ciro, uh, Mika's brother, proposes, like, mm -hmm. Valdor is the lab that, that Vector needs. Nick has this snide remark. He's like, great, now we're going to let a kid tell us what to do. I so badly wish somebody, like, Mika had turned to him and, and been like, well, why not? We've already been letting a child give us orders for years. You know, that yeah, would have just yeah. been the cherry on the icing on the cake. But, okay, all right, well, I, they just <laughs> let that one go, I guess. It could have been nice. But, oh, uh, oh. I have a question about Nick here. Um, uh -huh. In the previous books, Nick's scars were described, as, and we talked about this with Gene, as uh, Gene and Pat, I think it was, underlining everything he saw. But yes. here in Chapter 5 of Chaos and Order, they, and I quote, seem to stream from his eyes like streaks of dark tears. Yes, I also noticed that. And, so what gives? Uh, they change yeah, color I, and they change shape? What? <laughs> <laughs> now, I had forgotten about, like, this instance of it. Because, yeah, in my mind, I always saw them as, like, horizontal kind yeah. of stripes like under his eyeliner eyes. eyeliner put, like, an inch too low, yeah. Yeah, like, like um, you know, like the eye black that uh, football players or baseball players would wear. You know, that kind of a thing, cool. but, like, streaks of that, right? Um, but now, like, because of that, it does make it sound that it, like, maybe it, like, curves out. Like, it starts, they, they start vertical oh. and then like curve horizontal or something or like, just, like i mean you could, you could do like kind of diagonal streaks yeah you know? diagonal back um, from the corners would be actually oh 
or, or like diagonal from under his eyes, so it looks like you know, it starts in the middle of yeah. of the bottom eyelid, and then just goes kind of like sideways and down. I don't know, like uh, Danielle the details and see but yeah, I did also notice that particular description. I was like, huh. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, I'm paying attention. I'm looking. I'm like, what's going on here? But uh, yeah, that's all I want to say. That's all I trust myself to say about Nick for now. I think I definitely. I think I definitely listen to me. I do definitely agree with yours and Pat's assessment. Nick Sacorso has risen to glory in his deserved place amongst my most hated characters. I don't think I hate anybody else more, with, with perhaps the, the exception of Baron or Kohlberg from Kane. I I can't hate them as much. You're right because. We don't know them as well. We don't have as personal and and as sustained. You know, like like they're both of them have a very direct confrontational relationship with one character, with Kane. Right? They yeah, they true. hate Kane, that's true. and Kane hates them. <laughs> yeah, but Nick hates Kane. is just so horrible to everyone around him. You know. Yeah. Like ah. Oh. Nick is just, oh my god, he's so he's so despicable too. He, like, I don't have any respect for anybody less than I do for Nick Sikor, So anyway, yeah. yeah. Um, who else would you like to talk about? Who, who are we going on to next? Uh, well, let's let's move on to Angus. Okay, okay. So yeah, you know, um, on the topic of flipping characters around from how we expected them to start at the beginning, it's so easy to root for Angus now. It's concerningly easy, as my memory of the past Angus is still somewhat fresh, you know? Um, I'm not, like, 100% on the Angus... Sorry. I should say I am 100% on the Angus Redemption, like, hype train. I'm absolutely convinced that Donaldson is capable now of fulfilling what I dared to hope he would, to, like, redeem a character somehow <laughs> that I would have bet good money on being completely irredeemable coming out of uh, the real story. Like, this is... This is shaping up to be some of the greatest example of character work that I think I've ever read. If this trend continues, he like Angus isn't out of the woods yet. He's he's but he's got this counterbalance with Nick Sacorso, and now with his imprisonment to Nick Sacorso, I hope Angus gets to break free. I hope Nick gets everything that's coming to him, and Angus is just, you know kind of our vehicle of hope for that at this point. So yeah, yeah. so Angus. Um... In fact, I'm going to tie it back to our very first episode on the real story with uh, with Matt, with Matt McCaffrey on. Yeah, yeah. And how he noted that Angus is truly an anti-hero. And that there are a lot of authors nowadays who write anti-heroes in quotation marks. But really, when it comes down to it, they're just heroes who say some bad words and do a couple of naughty things every once in a while. But Angus is a truly antithetical hero figure. He is an awful person. Even now, he's treating everyone around him horribly. He has such a... He's so broken inside that even when he's given the chance at redemption, he's refusing to reach out and take it because he can't forgive himself and he can't heal himself. But... He is still doing things that we would hope our hero would do, right? Like, he, he still goes and rescues Morn. He still is opposing Nick, even if he's trapped inside, you know, the, the prison of his own yeah. mind. And and yet, if 
he talks so many times in this book. If he were free to do everything he wanted to, he would rape Morn again. He would murder people who annoyed him. I think, like he's, he would, I think he's lying to himself like, at this point. I think he's changed on that. He just doesn't know it. He's it, like, it, it could be. But but that's that's the brokenness inside of him. Yeah. This is a real anti-hero that we're dealing with. And I think it's super compelling. I, I haven't read many characters quite like Angus Thermopylae. Yeah, ever. definitely. There's a moment in Chapter 9 that I'm already thinking is going to take my number one spot for favorite scenes next week. Mm. Um, it's definitely going to make my top three, like, no doubt. But it might be my number one, I think. Unless wow. something really phenomenal happens. Like, yeah. Well... <laughs> read and find out <laughs> yeah won't take long um, um yeah that's it. like so, go ahead i i was i was just gonna say like do you want to move on to morn perhaps or davies yeah okay i don't have much on morn but i could definitely move on to morn um she's like it's she's still suffering at every single turn isn't she i'm getting emotional fatigue myself just from reading the thousand new ways in which Donaldson finds to make Morn Highland suffer on every other page. It's just exhausting. I'm like at about sympathy saturation because it was already a hundred percent halfway through the first book. I yeah. like that Morn is strong. I still have hope for her as for her future. She's absolutely badass in that she still has anything left to fight with it's inspiring but i'm not gonna lie her chapters are starting to drag a little bit for me well and i think donaldson's aware of this and that's why he almost never gives her points of view anymore yep in the first yep. 25 chapters of this book she got one point of view one that's it one. Oh wow i guess that goes to and show it was how chapter I'm 18 to get a little jaded yeah. yeah, but that but goes. a lot of it is Davies though. We Davies had by far the most points oh, of view. Yeah. He had one, two, three, uh, four, five, six. He had six points of view, just himself, including three in a row at one point, chapters six, seven, and eight. Um, and so much of Davies is also driven by Morn's trauma, of course, because he yeah. started off with her mind. That it it does have some overflow. But one of my favorite moments, you know, from this the early part of this book was when uh, they wake up uh, as they're arriving at the lab, and Morn and Davies are talking, and they're kind of getting angry at each other because they're in their own ways depending on each other to be strong, so that they can in turn be strong, and they both feel like they're weak and cowardly. And they have to, like, yell at each other and kind of, like, convince each other, no, you're still strong, you're still being a hero, you have done so much. Mm -hmm. I, I love that interplay where he, he takes advantage of the fact that they share a mind but don't share all the same experiences anymore. And so they're operating from, like, the same foundational, like, mental state, but, but acting off of new experiences. Yeah. Yeah, and and on the topic of Davies, there, like I, I wasn't, I didn't see this this new thing coming with with David Davies looking for reasons to be proud of his father, and it's it's wholesome and obviously very like in this frightening, sickening way. Like Donaldson is really good at using Davies Highland <laughs> specifically to make you feel clashing and like off-putting emotions when they're mixed together, and a lot of what's happening. 
uh, with Davies there. Like, it sucks that he's still suffering as much as he is as well, but, you know, I'm glad to see he's doing a lot of exercising. <laughs> I want to see him whoop Nick's ass eventually. Yeah. I'd love to see that. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I, when I'm talking Davies, I usually talk more in Davies. Like, they're still kind of, they're hand-in-hand hand with my character points. Davies, I find maybe a little, mm-hmm. a little more engaging well, at this and, point, but I still, yeah, I still want to see good things from Morn. Yeah, and I and I think as the story has grown on, Angus is starting to get wrapped into that because of Davies and the way he is trying to view them as a family. He's yeah. trying to view Angus as his father, even if Morn does not view Angus as a husband or partner in any way. She still hates him. Um, but but she also sees Davies trying to hold his father to a higher standard and understands that he needs a father figure in his life. And that's you know, that's a really complicated pain for her to deal with. She doesn't want anything to do with Angus, but she wants her son to be happy and healthy, and he needs Angus, so she has to like grapple with that. So much conflict. Just, yeah, so much. I love it. Yeah. It, it, it's really, really an incredible story. Yeah. Um, are we done with Morn and or Davies? Because I'm excited to talk about uh, Warden. Yeah, let's let's move to Warden. Okay. <laughs> I find him a little more interesting than I did in, in, the, in the last book. You know, I wasn't, I didn't find him particularly boring in the last book. Again, it's just the politics that I'm not a huge fan of and, a fan of, and he happens to just be the one in those ones. But <clears throat> his internal struggles, visceral. So, so real. He's definitely a character towards whom I imagine a lot of readers gravitate. I'm, I'm still trying to get over the politics, but <laughs> he's undoubtedly got some big things going on and he's obviously at the center of a lot of what our characters are most invested in so i definitely can't say that he's overall boring to read there's so there's so many hard-hitting lines in donaldson's prose when he's writing warden this returning theme of he was warden dios shame made him strong you know he feels almost like eastern asian in his precepts and how he governs himself and it's it's just really really juicy stuff you know warden is larger than life yes <laughs> yeah like yes. the 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 way i can say it is like most of the characters on earth in in the plot around earth are larger than life they're bigger than just being humans holt definitely warden definitely hashi in his own inscrutable way yes even sixton vertigus you, you know, he, he talks about how he's a living legend. He's a relic. He's an antique. He doesn't think of himself as human anymore. Or not in explicitly human terms. Like, he he realizes that he has become a symbol. He describes himself as, a, like, less useful than a figurehead on an old sailing ship. You know, <laughs> like... Uh, and and then we have these these other little moments when we get real human characters involved, like Koina Hanish. She seems just so earnest and and so relatable because she's a regular person just trying to do her job and make sense of the dealings of these larger-than-life figures around her. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I, I hesitate to really draw direct parallels um, because 
the ring cycle is not the gap cycle, but the ring cycle did inspire the gap cycle. And so you can you can draw some parallels uh, in broad strokes. And one of those is is think about the plot line of the space stations around Earth as Valhalla, basically. It's the realm of the gods. That's where the larger-than-life people are involved. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Warden here, Warden. Um, I still want to see him in action. I hope it happens. Even if it has to happen, like, right before the very end, I want to see him kick mm-hmm. some ass. I just, I need to see it happen. Okay. Okay. I need to see it. Well, read and find I need out. To see it. <laughs> okay, um, see, I've discussed Davies yeah. a bit already. Mika, I actually didn't write down anything about Mika, even though I'm still a huge fan. Um, Liebwall, I'm, I'm, I, I just, yeah, yeah. When his intercom chimed to announce her, he adjusted his glasses by sliding them even further down his nose, rumpled his hair, and verified that his lab coat hung crookedly from his shoulders. Then he told the data tech who served as his receptionist to let Lane in. I love that little character line. It's just, you, everything you need to know about Lee Wall is right there in that line. I love it. Yeah. Yeah, Hashi is an enigma. He... <laughs> yeah. You know, again, to not to draw a direct parallel and say he is this, but he's our Loki figure. Mm. He's our trickster god. Yeah. Okay. Okay. You know, I dig it. Mm. Like I, he, I didn't yeah. really have any opinions about him in, in uh, coming out of the last book, even. But I, right off, like in the first page of, of his point of view that we got there, I was like, oh, oh, I am, I am totally into this guy. Like, I want to see. Like, he's just kind of fun to read. In a way, yeah. a bit of unrestrained fun to... I mean, <laughs> even when he points I mean, out how much shame person. that it took me... Sorry, get, say again? He's a terrible person, but he's fun to read. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm ashamed to admit that it took me this long. Um, I shouldn't say it took me this long, because I didn't realize that until Hashi Liebwal pointed it out. Um, the double entendre with free lunch mm-hmm. doesn't exist. Yep. I didn't even get that until he pointed it out. And I had a little laugh, and then I like kind of just... Closed my eyes and had to hate myself for about six seconds for not catching on to that one sooner. But I, I, I remember you asking about the name. Uh, you yeah, know, and and I was like, just it'll make sense. Like, <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Oh, I remember you saying that too because I I had I had said it in one of my miscellaneous points. I was who names their ship free lunch and you did yeah. have that exact <laughs> that exact bit of advice. Just read. Just wait, it'll make sense. Yeah. And, but, and in fact, uh, in our miscellaneous points later, I'm going to go back and touch on another thing that you brought up that I I sort of glossed over in a similar way. Today? Um, but, but now we have enough information to really dive into into the good stuff. But but mm-hmm. we'll save that for after characters. Yeah. I love you, Bikwi. I just want to talk, say his name again. F*** the consequences. Yeah. That guy is he's my man. I love yeah, him, this guy. he's. I, I knew you were gonna like Dolph. Like I knew you were gonna <laughs> like him. He's just like a whole, like so many guys that I worked with at the metal shop. He's like I. It's just it's ah. Uh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this he's a guy that I could get a. I could seriously work right beside for twelve hours a day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, needed to say that about him. All right, I'm ready for my miscellaneous points. Any other characters that you want to throw at me? Hmm. I, can, I guess I can kind of tie them into miscellaneous characters just to point out uh, how freaking creepy Milo's Taverner as an Amnion is. Yeah, I mean, just, well, 
he's an, he's just any human term turned him neon is creepy enough but yeah with somebody that now we actually know before it happened it's it's got a whole new uh, dimension to it i'll give you that yeah and and he's retained like just enough of his original personality Bleh. yeah yeah <laughs> Ugh. okay so um uh, so yeah miscellaneous points okay I need to bring. I need to bitch about something for another minute, unless I'm totally misunderstanding something. I will say this: I could absolutely be misunderstanding something here. Um, the destruction of Thanatos Miter, Miter, mm-hmm. Miner. Listen to me here. Um, the shockwave from the planetoid blowing up. Acceleration from the shockwave is mentioned. Uh, they're trying to maintain a straight vector through the shockwave. Still riding blast inertia is another thing. Uh, it, it was just it was mentioned so many times. There wouldn't be a shockwave from a nuclear detonation in space that blows up a planetoid like you would need a lot of atmosphere for that there just wouldn't be one it would just be an expanding ball of heat and radiation it would melt everything it wouldn't push anything am i like misunderstanding something was there like matter introduced in this explosion like what exactly was it i i i'm sure it's just one of those things that he didn't you know think through as much as but he's got so much science He's got so much science already, though, like the whole matter cannon awesome. thing. <laughs> like, yeah. why, why, why go so deep into the science about something that doesn't really matter? <laughs> but I, I don't have the answer here. I, I, I have to be misunderstanding I was like, you know, something. I feel like there wouldn't be this like transfer of momentum through a vacuum. Like, I, mean, there, I have to be missing something. There has to be like atmosphere added or something like that to to, to like. I just, I don't feel like he would make that mistake. It's just so basic. It's like it's like hearing a Wilhelm scream in space. It's just you don't. Okay, <laughs> all right. Yeah. Uh, I'm gonna shut up now. I feel like I'm trying to beg on the author too much. I'm loving this book. I'm loving this book. Um, go ahead, hit one uh, miscellaneous point before I continue my next. Yeah. All right. So we're gonna we're gonna rewind over the course of a couple of episodes here. Okay. A few few episodes ago, you brought up the name Joshua. Yeah, I did. Right, mm-hmm. and then and then last last episode or two episodes ago, we talked about the name Gabriel. Yep, and Isaac. We didn't talk much, so there are four names involved here. There's Joshua, and the priority code is Jericho. And then there's Isaac, and the priority code is Gabriel. We've only really talked about Joshua, and I glossed over Joshua pretty pretty quickly because I mm-hmm. didn't want to like get too deep into the weeds and, and have you start uh, getting into stuff with Isaac and, and Gabriel. Um, yeah, yeah. But, okay, didn't want to prime me, set me off on my own. Yeah, so if team. you remember, you brought up Joshua. I did, yeah. And... Uh, and I was like, oh, you know, Joshua was one of the spies Moses sent into Canaan. Joshua was a lot more than that. After Moses died, Joshua took over the Israelites yeah. and completed the conquest of I Canaan. I said that a lot on that episode. Yeah. I, I, I just looked up Joshua before we started, yeah. Okay, and in particular, one of his most famous stories was the conquest of the city of Jericho. Mm-hmm. Oh, Jericho was a city. I'm still A city with... Okay. Famously high and strong walls. Impregnable. Uh, and God told Joshua to march around the city and blow trumpets. And the walls would come down. 
And then, now, you know, I tied it back with Gabriel, right? Gabriel is the archangel, a messenger of the Lord. Yep. In iconography, in religious iconography, with a trumpet. Yeah, that blew my mind in the last episode there, yeah. And now we get into the final aspect of it with Isaac. Isaac, in the Bible, is the son of Abraham. Abraham and his wife Sarah uh, could not have children. And well past childbearing age uh, for Sarah, God promised Abraham that he would have a son and his descendants would outnumber the stars. Outnumber the grains of sand on, on the beaches, you know. And Isaac was his son. And soon after Isaac was born, like, you know, he was a small child. God commanded Abraham to sacrifice Isaac to him as a display of his faith. And Isaac, you know, got the, the pyre ready to go and was all ready to, to sacrifice his son. And God stopped him. And said, you know, you've, you've demonstrated your faith to me. Yeah. So, can you think about anything that might tie in there? About God telling somebody to sacrifice Angus? Mm. Dios? God? See, that's not ready where to I sacrifice think my Angus? brain is going with that. In, in the imagery of tying somebody <laughs> down to sacrifice them, or just to, I guess in my head it was torture, I was thinking about Angus and his mother being tied down by a parental figure and made But what did pain. Angus do, or what did Warden do to Angus? He did the same thing. Yeah, he, yeah, I know. I, I see exactly what you said after that. That's, uh, yeah, that's not where my mind first went, but my goodness, it's, it's, there's so many layers to it. I love that. Yeah. He, he <laughs> it's clever. The names that Donaldson uses are very deliberate. I knew Very, I'm very so glad deliberate. There is, I, I, there is so much symbolism and meaning behind not only, you know, Angus's names, but the names of the ships, you know, even to an extent, some of the names of the stations, uh, if you really want to dig into it. But yeah, it's, I remember bringing it up for the first time, Joshua, I'm sure this is not yeah. just here by coincidence. It's gotta be a reason. Joshua, what do you think? Yeah, I, I didn't want to very... send you too far down the <laughs> rabbit hole. Um, yeah. You were very passive uh, on that and one. And have you figure out upcoming Indeed. plot points. <laughs> yep. Um, okay. Uh, with all this talk of mutag like mutag mutagens, oh my god, I can't speak, and the Amnion trying to find a way to create like perfect human-like specimens of themselves, I've got to say, me being me, I'm a little sus now. I feel like there's going to be a hidden Amnion, some, some freak accident where they already managed to create a perfect specimen, and... I have absolutely no foundation upon which to make that assumption or a claim, but now I'm a little sus. I think there's literally an imposter running around somewhere. So little details that are just, I know they're just character quirks. I'm focusing on, on them now. Like for one whole second, it was Warden's eye. I was looking, I was like, wait a second. And then I was, no, 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 you're being stupid. How many point of view characters have you had? Or point, points of view you had from, from Warden, stop being an idiot. But then again, yeah. again, I'm taking myself down these little, these holes. You know, uh, uh, Norna Fastner, how the Warden wasn't mm. able to get a good read on her science. I was like, mm, what's going on there? Same thing happened with Hashi Leapwall, too. He's just really good at controlling his internal functions to stress. And I'm just like, I'm starting to be sus of everybody, and it's driving me nuts. <laughs> I'm just, I'm okay. looking out. I'm paranoid. Okay. So. All right, all right. Miscellaneous point, my man. I only have one. Uh, I, I'm about finished, uh, to be honest. 
with with my miscellaneous points on on mm-hmm. this half of the book at least. Sweet. I learned a new actually, one. Actually, actually, no. Uh, that's a lie. That's a lie. Um, Ooh, no. Hit me. Okay. Hit. Uh, Darren Scroil. You okay? Yes, the captain of the free lunch. Uh, just because everybody in this series has to be perverted on some level. Right. Right. He's he's a, an incestuous bastard. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Where the incestuous part come from? Uh, he detail? was sleeping with his first cousin. That's his. That really? I mean, that's a detail it's, that somehow I just skipped over by accident. Uh, apparently. Okay. Uh, it's it's very explicitly okay. stated when he's. I did not see that somehow. Somehow, okay. Uh, yeah. It says, um, you know, describes oh, her. No, now you the know, graphic detail is making me uncomfortable. You know, naked in bed. Blah blah blah. Goes through this like whole relationship that they have. She was Alicia Hardaway, his targ first, but she was also his first cousin. I just, how the how did I just skip over that? Okay, I gotta pay more I attention. I guess. Do not know. <laughs> wow. Um, I learned a new word this week: prevaricate, to speak or act in an evasive way. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I nerd that one until today. So figured I'd bring. Oh yeah, it up. I love I love the the term prevarication. Ooh yeah. Ooh, that's nice. It's got a yeah. ring to it. I am done all of my points for talking for this half of the book. To be honest. Excellent, excellent. Uh, nice efficient we... today. Yeah, we. It's actually really nice for me because uh, after we wrap up here, I have to drive an hour down to Denver and uh, wake up early tomorrow morning for a hockey tournament. So nice, nice. Yeah. Um, we know how that goes. Oh yeah, it should be it should be fun. I'm I'm playing on a, a co-ed team with my wife and some of her friends. Uh, we're we're playing in the lowest of division. Hmm. So be a good time then. Uh, yeah, I'll be uh, I'll be taking it a little easy. Nice and relaxed. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, so uh, final draft. Okay, I'll kick us off then. Um, I mean, I had a coffee, just a, just a plain coffee, nothing special over the course of this episode here. Even though it's kind of too late for coffee, I still had one anyway. But um, I've been drinking a lot of this water lately that is flavored water because hey, it's got no sugar in it. This is um, from a company that I'm not going to name because they're one of those giant evil corporations whose name rhymes with bestly. But uh, this is a lemon-flavored water, and it's got no sugar, and it's very pleasant. Although I am far more uh, partial to the raspberry or the grape flavors. But hey, this I mean, it's got electrolytes. It's got everything I need for my organs. It's not the healthiest, but it's definitely healthier than the alternative has been. So I'm just drinking sure. flavored water. It's all I need, man. All right, all right. And some caffeine, but, yeah. Well, I'm going to read a little quote from uh, one of the oh. ancillary documentations. This one <laughs> okay. about the uh, crystalline resonance. Ah, uh, okay. It was as if both twins had been subjected to exactly the same strain at exactly the same moment, even though the crystals were not in physical contact with each other. In fact, the twins had been grown in separate containers and were insulated from each other by a variety of fluids and barriers. Subsequent research determined that the range across which symbiotic resonance took place was a function, first, of the purity of the crystals, and second, of the similarity between their seed atoms. The beer I am drinking today is a barrel-aged imperial stout from Cerebral Brewing Company in Cerebral. Denver, Colorado. Had them a few times, yeah. Brewed in collaboration with a bottle logic in California. Uh, and I, I would like to point out that Normally, on a label, it will say, you know, in collaboration with, but on this, it says in symbiosis with. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. I like it already. 
So this is an Imperial Stout, aged 20 months, in Law's six-year bottled-in bond four-grain straight bourbon barrels. Conditioned wow. on Jamaican Blue Mountain coffee and a blend of Haitian, Belizean, and Dominican cacao nibs, as well as Vanuatu vanilla beans and milk sugar. It is quite something. Oh my 13.3% alcohol by volume. How much? 13.3? 3. 13.3. 3. Nice. And it is called Concurrent Processing. <laughs> okay. Very nicely done. Very nicely done. I like it. Yeah. I very much like it. It fits the theme with the uh, spooky action at a distance. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I think that brings us to the end of this episode. Actually, this, so. is a, this is one of our shortest ever. I, it's, this actually feels great. I think it's just because the two of us, we're used to each having like a certain number of talking points. And so when right. we're missing a couple of guests, it's just naturally, it's more... Especially content. recently when we've had like three or four guests, you know, uh, on, yep. on some of these Gap episodes. Uh, and and we'll we'll get back to that soon enough. <laughs> Damn right. Uh, yeah, wait for our this day all gods die episodes when we have like six guests again. Um, but uh, but this has been episode I believe one twenty four. Nailed it of the yeah. Inking Out Loud podcast. Yep. Next up, we will be finishing Chaos in Order. We'll be going straight through the end of the book. Uh, and with that episode, we will once again have a guest. Uh, the current plan is Mr. Jared Livingston will be returning, so keep an yeah. eye out for that one. Uh, if you're interested in supporting the show, check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash inkingoutloud. We've got all kinds of bonus features, uh, including uh, I'm considering adding in uh, another another tier right now um, that will include some you know, monthly book reviews that I'll, I will write uh, just on books I'm reading in my spare time not covered on the podcast nice. so definitely check those out um, uh, but yeah patreon.com slash inking out loud as always I have been your host Drew McCaffrey and with me is my co-host Rob Santos right here thanks for listening and we'll catch you next time bye everyone